Uh, how are we doing tonight? How's this so going to go? We're going to do uh, a, a bins episode with episode with issue 69. We're going to mm-hmm. do a third degree burn episode with issue 70. 70. Who's doing the heavy lifting here? Uh, I've got, well, for us, I've got the synopsis and stuff written, so Brian, I can do our, our stuff. And for us, okay. Marvel Wiki has the synopsis written. <laughs> Back to the bins. Hello and welcome to a special Back to the Bins third degree burn crossover episode. I'm Paul Spataro and from the bins side of the world, I'm here with Dr. Bill Robinson. Hey! Hey! From the third degree burn side of the world, we have Brian Hughes. Hello. And Tim Elliott. Hello. Hey guys. Hey. So hey, you know. Uh, what? Why? Go ahead. Go ahead, Bill. Uh, tell us. I'm tell us what you're thinking. Well, uh, why are we doing this with the third degree burn guys? I thought we were doing. You know, I studied some Shakespeare stuff. Cry havoc and let's slip the dogs of war. I'd pay real money to shut him up. Well, we thought you guys could use a ratings boost, so we thought we'd come on and. <laughs> Ah, you know, you know, to, to this day, I still don't even know what our ratings are. I assume we do OK, but I don't really even know. We may have two listeners. I don't know. And we yeah. had we had two, three listeners and they're all on, wind up on our show. So <laughs> we just invited him to be on the show. Well, that's, that's not fair. We've got, you know, Jack Bond and uh, uh, Jason Trenner, of course, are regular listeners. And Andy Leyland told me he listens to us from time to time. So, uh, so that's good. Now, Scott Gardner, he doesn't listen to us at all. So we can talk all the trash we want to. <laughs> I generally listen. Thank you. I, thank I you. I can't say I've listened to every single episode, but I've listened to the large majority of them. Oh, we have gone off the rails from time to time. But it's, it's all going off, fun. What is this going off the rails you speak of? I, don't know. I think we reinvented <laughs> going off the rails. <laughs> So, yeah, actually, we've been talking for a while, for whatever it's worth, of doing uh, a crossover. and just Not not because of any deep-seated need to do so, but because we wanted to just get together and shoot the breeze. Uh, so we finally found an excuse. We decided we were going to cover Marvel Team-Up issues 69 and 70. So on this episode of Back to the Binge, you will hear the discussion about episode or issue number 69 and then if you want to hear the conclusion of that two-part story you'll have to make your way over to third degree burn and listen to the second half of this episode wait a second wait a second here are we doing 69 because bill and ted premieres this weekend dude because every time you say that all i hear is 69 dude (laughs) that's a good good excuse as any you're going to have to ask Tim, because he's the one who picked the books that we're doing. <laughs> um, I've always had a thing. I've always loved the – I think it stems from the uh, graphic novel, but I've always loved the the uh, the character of the – I living guess we can – the living, the living pharaoh, the, the, you know, the living monolith. So 
Colliding <laughs> Colossus. No, wait a Colliding Monolith, no, yes. Colliding no, Monolith, right. yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I always found it fascinating, just, you know, since we're going off on this, the the fact that he's like two supervillains in one. Uh, and then, you know, they don't really explain it in the story. And I don't think, I don't know when they've ever explained it to my satisfaction how the living Pharaoh is connected to Havoc. You know, they, they okay. explain what happens. I just don't understand why. Why? Oh, I don't know why. I mean, the way the... Well, some, somehow if, if Havoc's energy is bottled up, it... it Makes they its share way a into connection. Living... Yeah, yeah. And, I don't and, understand and it, how that connection came to be. Well, That's apparently it was retconned that Mister Sinister uh, monkeyed with the pharaohs uh, from a. He took a sample from Havoc and injected it into uh, the pharaoh, and that's how. That's why they're linked. I think mm-hmm. that was revealed in X Men, uh, the High Three Hundreds, like three sixty nine or three sixty four, something like that. But uh, did you say? Three sixty nine, dude. Dude. <laughs> oh. um, yep. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, since since the character was, I think, introduced in X Men number fifty seven, mm-hmm. it seems like that's an awful long time to wait to explain why. Brian, if you haven't done it by then, why bother? It's just somebody decided that, oh, this needs to be retcon. We have to come up with an idea for this. But, um, and well, I, it's you know what I. I I remember Trentus Magnus went through this whole thing about definition of retcon. And I guess it's not really a retcon because it's not contradicting something from the past. It's not changing True. the continuity. It's it's just, you know, finding a way to work within the continuity that explains something. And I don't remember what – I remember he, he did a whole episode where he was defining the terminology – and mm. I, I don't, I don't remember. You know, he was he was making a big di- distinction between retcon and reboot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't know if, if if it's if it would be considered a retcon. I guess it is. It's retroactive continuity, but it's not contradicting prior. So that would be a retcon. Right. They're not. Whereas exactly. a reboot is contradicting the prior. It's just more. It's just it's just backstory. It's just filling. It's somebody just come up with the to, to describe. You know, explain why. That these two have this link that um, they're both hogging the cosmic energy. But of course, no, you think it, there's got. Oh, sorry, ahead, Paul. Sorry. Well, I said you think there'd be other. I guess maybe they're on a particular wavelength, but you think there's got to be other characters that absorb cosmic radiation. That it can't be just these two that have to to uh, share it. Well, but, it's just that one wavelength. I mean, those right, guys just be happen to be. Right. Yeah, they're they're just set to 1969 and. They get all that, but you go to 1970, it's somebody else. You also have, uh, you know, Havoc also has the link with Cyclops because they're both, like, immune to each other's powers. Right. Yeah, which kind of seems uh, kind of strange to me that, you know, I'm shooting a force blast at you and you're immune to the force. How, how was, you know. Was Vulcan you, the same way with them? We just had a, a big, long discussion oh. last week about how Cyclops optic blasts work. And, you know, there, there is no logical sense to it, thanks to the various writers that did it. So it, it's so easy to be contradictory on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I've seen him where he's, he's shooting them out to, like, start a fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it's like he's shooting them and things are exploding. He's, 
know, then well, have, right. I have, have to open my eyes just the minute, you know, the, the tiniest bit just so I could get the force to do this. It's like, yeah, there's definitely some inconsistencies in how that power is uh, manifested. Have you been looking at the the Burns fan fiction he's been putting on his website right now, the X-Men Elswin? I, I've started to, and you, you were kind enough to share with me what you were able to legally download. Uh, <laughs> and... and uh, I, I haven't had a chance to sit and really make my way through it, but I really want to. Uh, speaking of which, as long as we're on the line, you gave me issues one through ten. If you can give me beyond that, I'd, I'd, I'd be forever in your debt. Sure, sure. But, I mean, it's all very – actually, if you go to his website at burnrobotics.com, you can read them – you know, read each one as he's put them out. Right, uh, right now he's just finished, I think, issue 14. We just covered issue 13 on our latest episode. I started uh, last, to listen, but then I thought, no, last, I really want to read this before week. I hear you guys break it down. And it, there's been kind of a little dust-up uh, out there. Basically, the Facebook group, Burn Victims, run by uh, a real nice guy, Steve Wilcox, uh, an artist himself, a pretty decent artist. Uh, he had been posting every page day by day, and then somebody within his group had been binding them together in PDFs or CBRs. So people could go to the file section and, and download this, and that's where I've been pulling those from. John Byrne actually made a comment on his own site that, uh, you know, these guys were pirating his stuff. Did he really? Because when I said legally, I wasn't being sarcastic. I was being totally – I thought I, I believed I was being totally upfront about it. Uh, but Byrne somehow feels this is like – Well, again, I don't really you know, understand it's, since it's, he's putting it out there for area. free anyway. It's a gray area anyway because – the, the fact of the matter is he's doing copyrighted characters. He's writing, you know, drawing original stories, and he's publishing them on his website. Now, he doesn't do any kind of advertising on his website. He makes no money on site visitors. You know, he's not going to get any anything for that. So it's kind of like, you know, Marvel turns their, their head away from it. They don't – it doesn't bother them when they when he does it like this. It's the same as doing um, – commissions at at conventions you know someone buy pays an artist to draw the character or whatever they it's turn their head the rules they, but they let it go they let it go and so you know he's he can go ahead and publish this on his website and yet he's you know getting you know putting out a little umbrage of the fact that someone is taking that and putting it on the on on facebook uh because Byrne does have a you know like a copyright you know notice on his web page it basically says you can't you know, put this anywhere else without express written permission. But he doesn't have the right to prevent you from doing it since these aren't characters that he owns. I mean, right. we're talking about all sorts of ridiculous copyright law Again, technicalities you know, it, here. But, but, I but mean, Stephen he, he, Wilcox, being an, an actual artist himself, you know, he understands this. And also, you know, Byrne's like his hero. So when Byrne refers to him as a pirate or your previous comment was a bottom feeder – he took a he he it, it hit him pretty hard and uh, so he he didn't doesn't want to you know upset burn further so he's again you know stopped uh, doing it he basically posts the link to his website so the guy can pull it but still you know people out there are gonna go ahead and download them they're gonna put them into these bound formats the PDF and the CBR uh, you know just so others can look at it. And and it's not like anyone is going to run and stop them. There's not going to be any kind of legal things. There's no no cease and desist. You know, it's just it, it is what it is. And I gotta say, I, I love Byrne as a creator. Mm -hmm. I, I think he he's just phenomenal. I think he's a great writer, a great artist. I mean, I, I really love his stuff. But 
he is the definition of the get off my lawn cranky old man. Oh yeah, we we've been going over this for a couple of years now. We've tried to stay away from talking the character of Burn, but you know the the stuff that's been going on lately has has brought a, lo- a little bit of that to the forefront. And I'd had a theory for years, and I wouldn't speak it on air, but you know, just I, I, out of out of courtesy because I didn't think it had been brought up before. But Joe Rubenstein last week uh, made it known that Byrne has self-diagnosed himself as having Asperger's syndrome. Really? Hmm. Yeah, and that was that was my theory all along that he he suffers from Asperger's because that that would make sense in the way that he deals with people, the way he wants things, you know, just a certain way. And you know, every every part of his personality seems to point towards that, and it also would point out why he is such a, a quick and efficient artist. And is able to do things in the way that he does it. It just made so much sense to me. But I wasn't going to sit there and speak it out loud unless it had already been broached. Fortunately, it has been. So I've got no no trouble saying that now. And if that's the case, then it makes a whole lot of sense. Well, I mean, people with Asperger's are generally, at least my, to my understanding, and I only have a very cursory knowledge of it, but to my knowledge or to my understanding, they are very high-functioning uh, and, you know, often or very frequently undiagnosed. So mm-hmm. it certainly is a possibility. And I do think a lot of creative people have that because that, yeah. it allows them that focus kind of thing. Right. Because a different part of the brain is actually performing the function that should be, you know, it, it, it's like the, the brain functions have shifted around from one lobe to the other. And it's like what you saw in Rain Man that uh, the the part that was using math for him was a much larger lobe than what we would normally use, and so therefore he was incredibly good at math. Now that was just full up, full on autism, but Asperger's is a form of autism. Yeah, well, it's, it's and, and autism, as we are all well aware, is a very very wide wide spectrum of uh, mm-hmm. how it how it impacts people's abilities. So and uh, and, and and having previously been chided by an autistic person for providing an opinion that was not necessarily shared by him. Uh, I will leave it at that and we'll not discuss it any further. No, and, and I, I agree. That's, you know, that, that was as far as I would, I would go on there is to say that this is what's been discussed and, and, and he himself has made that comment. Uh, so, it, you know, again, to me, it makes sense, but I think we should probably go on. We should. So, this issue that we're looking at, the first issue that we're looking at, came out, uh, or it's got a cover date of May of 1978. Uh, once again, it's Marvel Team Up number 69. I find it fascinating that the cover is drawn by Dave Cockrum, uh, while the interior art is by John Byrne, and just you know, it, it, we're, we're right around the right around the time when the switchover was going on the X-Men from uh, Cockrum to Byrne. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Byrne had only done. A handful of issues by this point uh, of the X-Men uh, and it shows Spider-Man in between Havoc and the living Pharaoh who are both shooting their force rays uh, <laughs> towards each other but both hitting Spider-Man in the front and the back and he's uh, Ow! He, he's apparently in some discomfort uh, I, I think it's a pretty dynamic cover and it's uh, got the Pharaoh closest to the reader and he is turned probably two-thirds of the way towards excuse me probably one-third of the way towards uh, 
towards Spider-Man. So you do see, you know, a decent amount of his front and Havoc is facing the reader shooting towards the Pharaoh. And again, Spider-Man facing the reader is getting hit from both sides. Uh, pretty sharp cover. If you ask me, the story is written by Chris Claremont, penciled by John Byrne, inked by Ricardo Villamante and colored by Mary Titus. Uh, and I do think it bears mentioning before we go into the synopsis uh, that the inker and the colorist, I think, are significant because we have a different inker and colorist in the issue that we're going to cover on Third Degree Burn. And without going into detail on that, I see a significant difference. And I, oh, think, yeah. I think the quality in issue 70 is definitely a step up from 69 uh, based on both the coloring and the inking. No, no offense intended to Ricardo Villamante or Mary Titus. I just feel that the work that was done in issue 70 is superior. But we'll get to that in good time. So this story was titled The Night of the Living God, or Night of the Living God. And the synopsis, which is given to us by Marvel Wikipedia, goes like this. Muir Island, the home of Moira McTaggart's Mutant Research Center, and the place where Alex Summers and his lover Lorna Dane have come to take a sabbatical from their involvement with the X-Men. One morning, while they are out for a walk, they are ambushed by men dressed in ancient Egyptian clothing and carrying high-tech weapons. Recognizing them as members of the Living Pharaoh's mob, the two mutants counterattack. Despite their mutant powers, they are easily overpowered. Polaris has knocked off a... Polaris has knocked off a cliff. Polaris is knocked off a cliff into the water below, and Havoc is wrapped up in a coil of metal that blocks his mutant powers, leaving him easy pickings for capture. As this is happening in Scotland, miles away in New York City, Peter Parker is burning the midnight oil at ESU, working in the advanced chem lab. Seeing a light on in Professor Craig's office, Peter decides to see if his professor is in. He finds the living Pharaoh's men, who have come to steal back their master's mystic Ankh. Webbing up the door to keep them trapped, Peter changes into Spider-Man. He's at first puzzled why the crooks haven't tried exiting out the door, and realize they're making their escape out the window. Spider-Man then crashes through the door, and to his humiliation is caught in his own webbing. The crooks manage to escape, but not before Spider-Man can tag their ship with a spider tracer. Back on Muir Island, Lorna Dane has gotten back to the main house and tries to call the X-Men for help. Not getting an answer, she calls Avengers Mansion and gets a hold of her old friend, the Beast, and tells him what happened. The Beast then leaves without explaining a thing to Thor, and leaves in a Quinjet even though their government liaison, Henry Peter Gyrich, has forbidden them, making Thor believe that it is a matter of life and death. Meanwhile, Spider-Man has been tracking the Spider-Tracer signal across the city, and is puzzled when it suddenly cuts her out. All is not lost as he spots an ambulance being driven by more of the Living Pharaoh's men. Watching as they unload Havoc out of the ambulance, Spider-Man attacks and frees Havoc, who joins the fight. The two heroes are winning the battle until they get attacked by the Living Pharaoh himself, who knocks out Spider-Man and then engages in a firefight with Havoc. As Havoc is focused on the Pharaoh, he doesn't notice one of the Pharaoh's men come up behind him and put the mystical Ankh around his neck, neutralizing <laughs> Havoc and putting him in a trance-like state. They take Havoc down to the basement of the building, where they place him in the device that will make him a living battery to magnify the Pharaoh's powers a millionfold. 
Before they can close the lid, Spider-Man ties, ties a web line to it, making it impossible for them to close the lid. Fighting off the Pharaoh's men and the Pharaoh himself, Spider-Man accidentally knocks the villain over the containment unit, snapping his web line and making the lid slam shut. This causes the machine to instantly activate and the living Pharaoh begins to grow in size and change into the living monolith. With Spider-Man in his grasp, the monolith smashes through the roof of the building, vowing to take over the earth. Dun, dun, dun. Wow. And, and that fantastic onesie he wears. <laughs> I think it's it's kind of cool, though, that he's got his living Pharaoh outfit, but then in, in, in anticipation of becoming becoming the living monolith he changes into the different outfit let me get my metallic onesie on Which, <laughs> apparently it's either unstable molecules or it's it's lycra because it expands with him as he well that's he grows a lot to... of lycra <laughs> and it's very metallic it just you know it might be popular today if you're on one of those glow shows Okay, but just I, I, I got to say this. I was sitting there thinking about this um, as, as you were going through the synopsis with the whole scene with Thor and the Beast and everything. This is you know, later on in the X-Men during the Dark Phoenix saga. The Beast also leaves Avengers Mansion while he's on monitor duty and takes a, a Quinjet. And does he ever get in trouble for any of these events where he does that? No. No, I don't think so. I would guess it, not. He's still an Avenger. Well, because yeah, it, when he leaves here, doesn't he get embroiled in with the X-Men down in uh, the Savage Land and all that? Well, he, he finds him at that circus. Mesmero ah. has them uh, in the next, I think it's 111, the issue of the X-Men. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, I like this, though, because it, it ties, you know, Marvel team up with the Avengers, which, uh, you know, he had been on for, Byrne had been on for a, a good bit. But um, and then, of course, it ties up with the X-Men and everything that's going on there. So, it's, I mean, it's really good at bridging, uh, you know, all that part of the Marvel Universe. But most of it is Chris Claremont writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's yeah. what I think I, I love how this. Fit. Oh, sorry, Bill, I keep talking over you. No, it's OK. I'm just going to say you don't get that nowadays. So. No, not, that's that's what kind of got me into comics uh, when I first started reading was how this this is a puzzle piece in a much bigger world because it ties in with Spider-Man. It ties in with uh, X-Men, the Avengers. It ties in with previous X-Men stories uh, without really sacrificing the story. And it got you interested to go buy another book. Yeah. Oh, well, what does happen? Let me go see. Yeah. Now I, I know I've mentioned in the past, like I just got the latest issue of Iron Man 2020. Which I doesn't in any way I know of tie to any other book in this. You know, it's like I know I've said it before. All the books seem to be their own little pocket universes now. And whatever. All right, I'll shut up. No, <laughs> no I, I totally agree with you. I, I think the 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 all inclusive universe that used to be Marvel uh, was one of the selling points to it for a lot of us, and and it was. You know, it was what made you expand from somebody who just read a comic to a comic collector. Because all of a sudden you wanted the whole universe in front of you. And and you'd see the little footnote saying, look at this issue and look at that issue. And it would definitely be the thing that would pull you in. Uh, 
Am I correct that this is the first appearance of the living Pharaoh and the living monolith since that first uh, appearance in X-Men 56, 57? I believe so. I, I yeah. got to take a look at that because there was an issue of Power Man and Iron Fist that he showed up in. It was also around this time. And I'm not sure if it was before it or after it. So give me a moment to look that up while y'all talk so after. much yourself. <clears throat> I think it was after because I think they they Havoc he talks to Havoc like that. Well, he obviously hasn't met Havoc since they met back originally, which was I think that was Havoc's debut story because he talks about here how he's grown to control his powers better and he's not afraid of him uh, because the Pharaoh doesn't become the living monolith in that X Men story. I don't believe. Yeah, he does. He just, does he? Okay. I, yeah, I, I read I, that recently, I, but I can't remember if, now. I believe if you look, I think the cover of X-Men number 56 is uh, a you know a full Oh, shot that's when the, he's, he's grabbing the logo, isn't he? Yeah. Yes. yeah. Wait a minute. So I'm looking at, what is this? This is the page for Ahmet Abdul. So they go X-Men 54 through 60. Then they say Supernatural Thrillers, volume one, number nine. 10 and 11? I wonder if that's the same. Maybe it's just the character. Hmm. Wait. Antagonist. Living Pharaoh. Is that the same Living no, Pharaoh? Well, so it is. thrillers. He was, was there, where the, where I guess. the Living Mummy appeared. Yeah, but I guess the, they're saying that the Living Pharaoh... They're saying it's the same one, but I don't know if that's really correct. Uh, well, I, I just opened up the Marvel Wiki page for Supernatural Thrillers number 9. That was listed there, correct? Yes, nine, ten, and, and eleven. It does it does say antagonist living pharaoh? It's been mm. a while. I, I know I read all of these things. Mm. The Power uh, Man and Iron Fist story takes place a year later, in seventy nine. So it's, it's after. I'm gonna have to reread these Living Mummy stories because I did not remember that that happened because that's back in 1974. Hmm. Mm. And he apparently did. Everybody's living. You got the living mummy, the living pharaoh, the living monolith. <laughs> living dangerously. Living daylights. Oh, sorry. Living on the edge. Well, you got to feel kind of sorry living for him. Living on the edge. <clears throat> he never gets to be the living monolith for very long. You know, that's his ultimate goal. And it's like he gets it, and, it's, and he's, you know, a couple of minutes, a couple of hours, and then somebody throws a wrench in the works, and he loses all his power again. So he's got to be off in the most frustrated supervillain. No, well, we, we did the uh, a couple of years back. We did the graphic novel uh, about the living monolith. And Bill, correct me if I'm wrong, if you remember, but didn't that kind of end where he wasn't able to get back? He kept growing and growing. Yeah, he turned into like a planetoid and had, uh, well, I was about to say shite growing on him, but he had things <laughs> going on. Him. So yeah, he he was like, I can't move. I'm so dense and huge, and I. Shot his ass out in the space, and there you and go. They, they, they kind of made him into a planet. Planet, but he got, but he got better. He did. Well, he came back at one point. Yeah, they always. I heard you miss me. I'm back. That was was that Revenge of the Living Monolith? Yes. Mm -hmm. And I, I I think Mark Silvestri. That was one of his like first big jobs. Yeah. And it, if I remember correctly, we enjoyed that one very much. Actually, Revenge of the Living. Which one is that? That's, that's, the, the, that's the graphic novel. Oh, it was Revenge. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Right. Oh, yeah, I forgot it was Revenge. Yeah. He's destroying the, the uh, I think he's destroying the World Trade Centers on the on the cover, isn't he? Yes. Ooh, yeah, that's right. Ooh, yeah. Mm, bad juju. 
But all I was saying is just, you know, it's it's really good, especially in a book like this, to see how well it's tied all throughout the Marvel Universe. And I mean, I, I say it, and it's really X-Men, Avengers, and Spider-Man. But uh, Claremont was very good to staying faithful to all that. And, of course, with uh, when Byrne and Claremont were working on Marvel Team-Up, it was more of Claremont writing the full story and Byrne just being the art robot. Whereas on X-Men... You know, they plotted together. Byrne would then go ahead and draw the artwork based on the story they agreed on. And then, you know, Claremont would come behind it and script it. Yeah, X-Men was definitely much more of a collaboration. And Mm. I thought when when Byrne got to the Fantastic Four, I thought you could see a lot of a lot of things done similarly to the way they were done on the X-Men. And I've always wondered... You know, was that Burns influence on Claremont when they were on the X-Men that he helped that along? Or is that something that Byrne learned from Claremont, you know, from working together with him that he kind of picked up on that a little bit? Because he seemed to have a similar writing style once, you know, once he had uh, once it was unfettered and it was all him. Yeah, he just wouldn't do as many words. No, but as far, <laughs> I'm talking about just the, the kind of the plotting. Uh, yes. And, and the, you know, the connections down the road, you know, you'd have little throw you a little something right, and yeah. then you wouldn't you wouldn't know what it meant until four issues later. But, you know, I think that was that was something that was almost ingrained in all the writers that were writing in the, in the, the mid 70s and early 80s, because you had guys like Dave McElhaney and, and Bill Mantlo and others that were sitting there doing something similar. You know, we saw this in the Avengers. You guys saw that going all the way back to the the 160s and the 150s where I think Jim Shooter was writing and he planted the seeds of like Django Maximoff and was it 164 or 166 and it didn't reach fruition until two years later. Right. With yeah, uh, with, yeah the, the Wonder Gore uh, mountain story with uh, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver. Well, I think the big thing back then was when you were assigned a book, you had every reason to believe that you were going to be on it for quite a while. You know, now, now, you know, it's you hope to get maybe, uh, you know, two, three stories in and then you move on and, mm-hmm. and you drag each story out to six issues. So, <laughs> you know, that's that's 18 issues. And but, you know, it, it's so it's the writing is so different now. And without the sustained teams, you're not going to see the same kind of continuity things uh, that you did back then. So it's, you know, I hate to, to constantly be lamenting. The current state of things but that is something that was superior in the past you know some things you could look at some things that are better now some things that are worse now that's something that was better then are, are you guys reading many new books i mean i'll be honest i don't buy brand new books that often i, I get some on, on free comic book day and i may pick up a couple others just out of curiosity but i don't really read a whole lot to know that the quality is is, is much i mean we we lamented a lot but how much actual reading are we doing? I only read Avengers and Iron Man right now. I've dropped everything else, and that's mainly because those are the two series I have the most of. I have all of the Avengers, so uh, that's that's like just a, you know, that's like like a reflex action. I'm not mm-hmm. going to stop, you know. Uh, however, the only new newer books I'm buying now is ones that I can get for a dollar. Maybe two dollars. I will not mm-hmm. pay full price for anything new anymore because it's, in frankly, in my opinion, it's not worth it. 
Yeah, it, some of the art is not worth it. Some of the stories aren't worth it. But yeah. I'm a collector. I'm an I'm a numbskull. But I'm not I'm not going to pay three ninety nine, four ninety nine. Sometimes up to five ninety nine and six ninety nine, just if they change the cover. And I was like, what? DC was that? doing that with yeah. with a lot of their because I've been trying to collect the Justice League too, and and it's like, forget it. No thanks. That was my yeah. I, I was that way with Spider Man. That was my one book that I would always buy regardless. And even I've stopped reading uh, Spider Man because it just got to be. And I was getting mine from Discount Comic Book, so I was getting it at like sixty percent. It just got to be. Not yeah, but you pay like read. six bucks just to ship it, right? Yeah, yeah. It, well, it had flat fee, like where you know I had a much yeah. order. It was a like six bucks, but uh, it just got to be you know. For various reasons, I was having to cut back because of money, and then I just never got back into. I, I found I was buying them I, for a long time. I was buying them. I might have been buying them for three years. I was not reading them. I was buying them and stacking them, thinking I'm going to get to these, and I wasn't reading them. And I thought, well, what's the point of that? So, mm-hmm. you know, totally who's uh, I've pretty much given up on on new books in general. Uh, and when I go to the comic store, it's always to buy old stuff, but. Every once in a while, through the generosity of others, uh, I could point, I could say Jason Sandberg has been somebody who sent me some newer things. Uh, the most recent thing he sent me was uh, was it the Immortal Hulk? Is that what it's mm. called? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he sent me issues, I think like eleven through eighteen or something, something like that. And I've actually heard good things about that series, so I do plan yeah. on sitting down and reading it. Yeah. But uh, I'm I'm going to try and. Uh, acquire maybe see if i can get like a trade or something for issues one through ten so i can you know because i do have that completest attitude still so i want to read it from the start and work my way through but uh you know it's like through jason's generosity i have some connection to current books he also sent me some some superman things from the new 52 and things like that uh, which I appreciate very much but those those are like to me those are reading material not collecting material because I don't collect mm. anything new anymore well I'm not saying there's not good books out there but at the price point I don't have the money to take a chance on it and experiment like when I when I hear something's very good then I'll I'll seek it out and trade now yeah well, like that's the, I'll wait mm-hmm. till a trade comes around well like the stuff that we got with TKO I overall uh, I don't all those haven't come out yet have they uh, two of the three the episodes. episodes we did have yeah. come out. Okay, so we still have the third episode to come out. So the, those those are pretty different. I mean, you could either buy the books individually or you could buy it in a trade. And I don't know. Maybe I've just grown tired of the comic, the comic book superhero genre outside of certain key ones. I don't know. See, now yeah, the I... thing for me is the superhero stories are still what pull me to comics. You know, we, we did mm-hmm. those series, and, and you know you could listen to them, and you could see we enjoyed mm-hmm. them very much. But ultimately, I'm going to go back to superheroes every time. Oh, Did TKO do any superhero ones? Not mm-hmm. that we got, but I, we I got. don't know if they huh. – I, I would imagine they have some. Okay. Yeah, I'll say I, I tried reading Amazing Spider-Man, and this is post uh, Superior Spi- Spider-Man, and I just I was like, there it was culture shock because so much has changed, so much was different. I didn't know who was what and what was going on, and all of a sudden Peter Parker was Tony Stark. Yeah, was that after Slot left the book, or who was right? Yeah, that was then? Slot was on it at that time. Oh. Still, yeah. And I, I, I read some of that also, and and I feel like you know. 
it's kind of you damned if you do, you damned if you don't. Because on the one hand, you don't want to just, you know, Spider-Man's got what six, seven hundred issues. You, you don't want to just churn out the same story over and over and over again in just a slightly different retelling. On the other hand, you still have to stay what's, to what's true to the character, in my opinion. So now, in an effort to tell something, a story that was different, Slot tried to put Spider-Man into a different situation by having him, you know, find some success in his uh, scientific uh, creations, and all of a sudden he became Tony Stark. But to me, it felt like it wasn't really Peter Parker anymore because of that. And then I wasn't really that interested in it anymore, and I ended up leaving it. Whereas when he did the uh, Superior Spider-Man with Doc Ock in Peter Parker's body and trying to live his life and live up to the ideals that Spider-Man should have, I found that to be fascinating, and that was a fun read, in my opinion. Well, I, for one, am glad that Dan Slott is leaving Iron Man 2020, and we'll be looking forward to a new writer. <laughs> who's uh, who's writing the Avengers right now, Bill? Uh, good question, because I haven't read any in about three or four issues back. And, well, let's see, the art has been McGinnis. I'm trying to think who the writer is. Supposedly, Moon Knight is now um, basically kicking all the Avengers' butts. The Fista Kenoshu, or the God... Kanushu, whatever, however you say it. He's, uh, I haven't even opened the latest issue. The guy at the comic store was like, look, Moon Knight's got uh, Thor's hammer. I'm like, yeah, so what? Everybody can pick up Thor's hammer nowadays. What does that matter? I, I guess I'm just a horrible person to try to sell books to because I'm just like, just like, yeah, 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 just give me my book. No, how does Moon Knight worthy of carrying me on no, he's because he's been empowered because he's kicking like each issue. He's kicking a different Avengers butt and taking their weapons. Um, I don't know. That's like I said, I'm, I've opened them. I flipped through that. I, I haven't yeah, actually read a... them. Maybe there's an explanation. I have not delved into it because between these two, the last two issues I got, there was like, well, I don't know. This whole, uh, you know, the coof came along and. Every, everything got shut down, so it's been kind of hard for me even to get an interest back in the comic books because they were so gone for so long. And now everybody's screwing up how they want to sell them, and or you know, yeah, we're gonna, you know, finally they decide to break Diamond's stranglehold, but now it's gonna, in my opinion, probably hurt comic stores because now they got to go back to the days of having separate shipping. That was the only good thing about Diamond is you could get everything from one place and pay less for shipping. Now they're gonna be paying twice the shipping everything else and it's uh, i don't know i don't see i don't know in the current state how much longer certain comic stores they can't live off of comic books because when no, they're they rolling these things that. out some places like within two three months you can get them in the back issues for you know or like a discount bin other places they keep them on the wall forever and then they put them in the back you bin uh, the back issue bins at like eight bucks a pop, and I'm like, really? You, you think you think this is gonna save you? You're out of your mind. I got a, a question for you guys. What do mm -hmm. you think of uh, Marvel Team Up Number Sixty Nine? Yeah, I know. Sorry, <laughs> I'm so negative. I know I'm negative. No, it's not. No, it's not you, Bill. It's all of us. We've all just gone so far afield of the issue yeah. that I wanted to bring us back. I love the issue. Yeah, I like yeah. it. I like it a lot. I, I, I love it. it. It's a great example of comics at that time, and you know what. The the panel layout that Byrne put in there gave us a compressed story. Um, 
it was just really well done. You got a lot of bang for your buck then. There's a lot of story here, yeah. There is, but that's Claremont, but the uh, and it, you know, it, it ties in nicely with uh, and it's you know, it's a, a it's a typical kind of goofy story, but it's uh, uh, I like the way it ended. I I find and maybe because you brought it up, Paul, about the different anchors and the different colorists, I find the artwork in this is a little more burn-like than in the next issue. Although the next issue is a little more detailed, I think it is better art, but this to me looks more burn-like. Because yeah. there's only parts of this look burned to me. Some of it is, is um, I mean, some of it looks. Um, Wait, you're saying this issue looks more bird-like than the next one? I think it I does, would, in my opinion. I would say this one looks typical, aside from X-Men, that it looks typical of the way Burns' art looked at this time. When you look at the Iron Fist that was before that. Or um, Champions. Or champions, or you know anything, you're seeing it with the different inker of the week. You're not seeing it with the consistency of Terry Austin, so that you're getting you know this this kind of uh, of art pretty much every time. So it's it's decent for the day, but it's not like what we're going to get in the next uh, issue. Yeah, because because the, the next, next one issue, I feel is closer to Terry Austin inking. That's what I was than, just going to say. The next issue is inked by Tony Zuniga. Dizuniga, mm-hmm. excuse me. And, and I do feel it's much closer to what we get with Terry Austin. But when I first took note of that, and I don't want to go too far into the second issue, uh, but I also started noticing that I thought the coloring was superior, too, in the next issue. The next issue is colored by Phil Rachelson. Uh, I, I just like the color in this one. And this might even be a choice, because this story is a little bit more grounded than the next story. The next one is slightly more on a, mm, on a closer to a cosmic level, even though it's not really cosmic. Uh, yeah, this is like a like a cops and robbers Spider-Man whodunit chasing across the city. I mean, aside from the, uh, you know, Havoc getting kidnapped and, you know, the, the attack on Murr Island, it's basically Spider-Man swinging through it's the more, city. This is more of a Spider-Man issue. The yeah. next one is more of a Thor issue. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And and I, I feel like this one is more, uh, you know, Spider-Man level powers that they're fighting with the living Pharaoh, mm-hmm. whereas Until the living monolith is, is out of Spider-Man's class to fight. Oh, yeah. Way above his pay grade. Yeah, I, I think I do think on this issue, though, there's some some interesting coloring choices when Havoc is using his power because they use white to show that energy level, you know, almost a white hot uh, very frequently when he's when he's shooting his powers, more so mm-hmm. than in other issues that I've seen him in, I think. Uh, and and it, it, it's it's very effective in the way it's it's used. And there's some panels in this that are gorgeous, by the way. I'm just I'm looking like a page that I just think looks great is uh, page 22 with, with, well, with Havoc facing off against the Pharaoh. That's that's mm. yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, also, and that the, to me the, looks like typical burn. That almost looks like Terry Austin burn. The, yeah, I can yeah see that. It's, it's it's not as crisp. I've always said Austin on burn. It's a very, it's very sharp, very crisp, very clean. Uh, and when like Bernard do himself, we we talk about our show that he it's not muddy, but it's a little heavier handed. Like he's using a he's using more ink than he is a, more of a brush than a pen, so that the line works just a little thicker. And that's a little bit that I get here, and it's more – the posing is not quite burned, but that hasn't – you know, that hasn't uh, – I guess he hasn't established, you know, his kind of typical 
set up for poses and stuff. Some of it is a little like on the top of page 15, which I think is another gorgeous page at the bottom when Havoc is blasting uh, the Pharaoh. That's uh, I love. I love. I always love the way they do the concentric circles as it goes out and showing his power radiating. Mm-hmm. But look at Spider-Man above it, where he's swinging and he's kicking the guys. His his legs and and their his lower body's a little wonky on that. Um, and usually burns pretty good on on anatomy. Um, and it's just a little more detail in the face. A lot of times, burns faces you don't get a lot of heavy detail. You know, it's well drawn and it's lined out, but it's not a lot of um, shadowing or detail. Sometimes the, the, I think that's the appeal of, of Burns' artwork. That the sometimes that lack of shadowing makes for a cleaner yeah. image, and I and I like that. I find it pleasing to the eye. I, maybe, I, I can see the inks on this. A lot of what I saw in Villarmonte on Star Trek that he did um, a couple years later. And I find it, it actually detracted from Burns pencils though in this book. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going through it as we're talking. And when we, when we first get to Peter Parker, I feel like the artwork takes a dip downward from where it mm-hmm. was. You have, you have the scene with Havoc and Lorna Dane facing off against the uh, Pharaoh's uh, henchmen. I think that artwork all looks really good for that, whatever, three or four pages. Then we get to Spider-Man, or to Peter Parker and Spider-Man, and it, it looks to me like the art level takes a drop there until we get to the point when he releases Havoc again. One thing I found really interesting is on the page where Lorna is talking to the Beast on the phone, if you look at the, if you look at the Beast's face, it actually looks like the Hank McCoy face that uh that we'd seen before before he mutated into the beast and you don't see that as much in other images of the beast in other books and i think a lot of that is Villamonte rather than burn though because he's only now making efforts to make that the blue furry beast look like hank mccoy in the face that's interesting although i do think the beast looks more it does look more like a burn character than uh i mean Peter Parker kind of looks like I think uh, Ross Andrew was doing him in his own book this time, and that's that kind of that model, you know, little those little gel, yeah. little spit curl, whatever that is that they draw on his head. Um, um, and it's just even some of the the I think even some of the tech. I think the the and I don't know why, but the in page two and three, this the the hovercraft that these guys are using for some reason that says Carmen Infantino to me when he was doing his Star Wars. See, that, that, that hovercraft to me reminds me of the champions flying thing that they had. Uh, that, I, don't, I don't know if that was was uh, first shown before Byrne took over, you know, before Byrne drew champions or if he first brought that in. But whatever their, whatever their transport was called, I don't even remember. Uh, but that's what it looks like to me. Just put a big C on the front of that, and it's and yeah. That's what it looks like it looks like the one that uh, Iceman used in Hulk Angel Seven when he's flying to meet uh, Angel at his mm-hmm. rooftop or his mountainside retreat. The um, Airy. Yeah. Or, yep. Is that what? Yeah. Where they called it? Angel's Airy. Angel's Airy. Yep. Airy. Yeah. Yep. Sorry, I just pulled that right out of my butt. <laughs> and it was stinky. Mm. What else we got on this? 
uh, I, I, you know, it's, it's, I know it's a trope of the time and all of that, but it just seems dopey to me that these guys are walking around in these Egyptian costumes. <laughs> yes. It seems like they should be in Batman 66. It does, yeah. It does seem <laughs> sure. With King Tut. Yeah. That's not the way a Quinjet looks either. Yeah, I, I was kind of noticing that. They're, and... they're more rounded. Uh, and it's the, funny because Burns, the guy that actually designed the look for the Avengers Quinjet, when he when he started drawing him, I think in in one eighty one, you know, he's the, he came up with the design, and that's the one that they they wound up using for years and years on after that. So I, I don't know why he went off model there, unless he drew it on model and Villamonte came behind him and changed it for whatever reason. It might have been so small that he couldn't. Yeah, I mean that that draw. That, that could be the reason. Well, yeah, but still, the front should be rounded. I mean, that's not even rounded. It's just square. Well, again, off. this is this is a year before Byrne actually took over. You know, took over pencils on Avengers, so he probably oh, had not got you drawn that oh. Quinjet. Yeah. So are we to assume that the living pharaoh? is involved with the Egyptian embassy. Yes. Cause he's yes. got the, uh, he's got the, the plates yeah. and he's going to diplomatic community. <laughs> it's been revoked. Yes. Well, he's a, isn't he a professor of Egyptology, Egyptology or something in his, his other, his other identities. Oh, so he's yeah, got three identities true. now. Um, oh, God, I guess he's got four. If you count the living planet that he becomes, but, um, <laughs> Well, and the other thing I like is the henchmen are driving around in basically the Ghostbusters uh, vehicle. <laughs> Egypto one? Yeah, it's just got the um, the red cross on the front. Well, you think that if they're taking the time to just, you know, they're driving an ambulance to try to stay a little uh, low-key, take the headdress off. Take you know? the, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> instead of... But... Then it would be a comic book, would it? Well, then he wouldn't have been able to been able to find them, because although suddenly I guess the ambulance can shield the tracker, they couldn't be bothered to take off the outfits. Oh well. Time's up. Stop it! Stop it! Yes, I know. So this device, though, that he puts havoc in is basically a reverse tanning bed, taking all the the radiation from him and sending him over to the other guy. He's a living battery. Ah. Oh, wait, you're talking about, uh, well, the living model gets a tan as soon as he gets the power. Oof. Yep. Well, well done, though. Yeah. Some, you know, SPF uh, 10,000 well, or something there. It's interesting that they draw, and they, this obviously, I think, just distinguish the two, but the when the, the panel that Paul referred to in 22, where they're kind of going at each other, their powers are displayed differently. You know, Havoc has his yeah. circles or his power radiating out, and uh, the the just looks like he has, you know, generic Kirby Crackle coming off his hands. Um, right. I don't, know if that's just supposed, I don't know if they're supposed to have the same... Because uh, Havoc is... Uh, he's not actually shooting force blasts. He's actually shooting superheated plasma, right? Isn't that what his power is? See, I always thought Havoc had Force Blasts. <laughs> yeah, that's what I always thought. No, force Blasts. And, like... and, and if you look at uh, page 16, it looks like 
the pharaoh is shooting something that's explosive. I'll tell you in a minute. Yeah. Well, I thought they said he shoots plasma so that it's so hot that when something hits something, it'll cause it to explode because of the, the heat change. And that's why people thought he was shooting some kind of a force beam. You know, when when I originally read this as, yep, a, as a kid, as, as a kid, I the the pharaoh's power looked like yellow custard to me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know if it was lemon or banana, but it just struck me as gross. <laughs> oh, no, wait a minute. It says Havoc is a mutant possessing the power to absorb ambient cosmic energy, process it, process it, and emanate it from his body as waves of energy that heat the air in the path, turning it into plasma in the form the of pharaoh. a blast or discharge. No, no, no. This is Havoc. Oh, okay. With a telltale concentric circle pattern. Hmm. So, so you're saying Tim is right? Well, yeah. Sounds like, yeah. Yeah. And also, he's got the coolest costume ever. Mm-hmm. All those times that you said he doesn't know what he's talking about, you know. What are you talking about? I thought you're the one that doesn't know what you're talking about. <laughs> oh, it was me that you said that about. I, I yes. know somebody. <laughs> I don't know what either of you is talking about. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, help, uh, I'm falling down a rabbit hole. I'm going to get off this page. <laughs> Okay, I'm safe. Wait, have it died? There's, I'll just look. Everybody's died at some point on these comics, but uh, I didn't, I just, I didn't know I, he was I, sick. I'm, don't don't read that. Yeah, everybody dies. It's always the one thing I did notice is that um, the second to last page, as Spidey basically knocks the uh, living Pharaoh against uh, against the wall, and the piece falls down that was holding the uh, door open to the tanning bed. It it makes me think of that piece of uh, of dinosaur or whatever it is that Rachel stole in the episode of Friends where she and Ross did it. You guys have any idea what I'm talking about there? Yeah. <laughs> I it's it horrible just... what you think of when you read these things. I thought it's interesting that, uh, of course, this is before the fact, but that, uh, Claremont, or Spidey, I guess, in this case, thinks that Star- the sequel is going to be called Star Wars 2. Yes. <laughs> And that that tells you exactly what time this was done. Uh, the Wiz and Star Wars. Star Wars too. Yeah. I, I always think it's a bad idea to to make too many cultural references to the time when the book comes out because it always dates it. Even worse than that is when they start putting like years that they were born. Mm-hmm. Mm. So what else we got here? The one the one other thing that. that is kind of funny. And I don't know if it was, you know, just the sound that he wanted to use, but very early on, I think it was page two when Alex and Lorna are getting attacked. The, the, the onomatopoeia he uses for the blast is frack. Frack. Which in 78 was very popular with, uh, Battlestar Galactica. Was it, was it popular with the original Battlestar Galactica? Cause I, I thought that came from the, the reboot and it was big. Now, Frack, Felgercar, Pogies were all part of the original Battlestar Galactica series. Okay. So yeah, and I don't I don't know if that was just a a, a thing or just the the word that Byrne wanted to use when he threw it in there. It's like Zark for uh, Cyclops Optic Blast, you know. Maybe Frack is the. Well, uh, and and since we're talking on him on a P is. 
page seven, Spidey's uh, webbing says thip, thip, not thwip, but thip. Oh, man. It's got the W. It's, yeah, that particular web uh, web shooter's got a lisp. <laughs> and again, we will get a little nuts here with Zrakao as, uh, as, as Pharaoh shoots them. How about that chilling phone at the uh, at the Avengers Mansion? Bring! <laughs> Jesus Christ! <laughs> as as the beast is toasting marshmallows. Yeah, with his with his toes. Ooh, gross. Hey, if you can, do yeah. it. God knows okay. if I could eat with my feet. <laughs> Good to know. I don't, I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight now. Just never, never get, take an invitation from Bills for dinner. Um. You've never seen a man eat rotisserie chicken till you see him use his feet. Oh man, toe, toe licking good. <laughs> like I could get my foot next to my face. Come on, you guys have seen me. We know you've tried though. <laughs> I'm just gonna let that go there. I'm, I'm not going to shut up it. now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I think we've said everything. Yeah, I think it's 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 just it's I mean it's a it's a it's a good fun story. It makes you want to pick up the next one to see how the thing ends. So I uh, you know the Pharaoh's a really kind of over the top, and uh, you know I love his some of his dialogue because he's very it's very Namor like or he's he's very bombastic about what he's you know and. Uh, wait, always... wait, did somebody say bombastic? <laughs> oh, here you go. Uh, no, I'll let it go. <laughs> Mr. Bombastic. Oh, okay. Is that a trigger word for you, Bill? Yeah. Is that Bill's trigger word? Mr. Lava Lava. All right, that's enough Shaggy. And it ain't Scoob. Shag. Scoob. Soinks, it's the li- like it's the living monolith, dude. What, Raggy? It's time for rating. Okay, so what's next? Uh, I guess maybe, maybe we'll rate this one. That's what I said, but I said it is Scooby. I know. Oh, never mind. So, uh, I think the cover is really cool, actually. I think it's really eye-catching. I think Dave Cockrum did a really nice job with it, and I would pick it up off the stands. And, in fact, I did. Let uh, me ask you a question, though. Have we seen this cover before? It, it isn't the most original layout in the world. Okay, because I swear I've seen, but I swear I've seen Havoc on a cover just like this with almost the same type of, like, somebody, like, the he, he was blasting Cyclops. It Maybe was, that's it. Well, that, was, Maybe, that would yeah. be X-Men 97, like, I think the cover was, and it, it wasn't like that angle, though. It was looking straight yeah. on. It was, prof- it was more profile, wasn't it? There was yeah, side-to-side. Yeah, side yeah, view yeah there's the, that one, but I, I think I've seen one like this where someone was shooting back at him or he was flipped with the in the living pharaoh position. It just seems very familiar. Yep. Anyway, continue, Paul. Uh I'm going to say a solid B-plus on the cover, though. I really like it. The interior art, I think, is solid, but I think it's a little inconsistent. As I said, I I think I'm going to put most of it on the inking and the coloring. I I think Burns' layouts are really sharp. Uh, Even the pages that I don't think really stand out, I think they're laid out well. Uh, I think it's paced very well. You know, the the whole story just kind of flows right through it. and there's a couple of images in particular that I think are pretty sharp. So I'm going to say 
be on the art. Uh, and the story, I like the way that Claremont built it up, the way he uh, he let this issue play on, like I said, on, on more of a street level uh, and got Spider-Man involved in it. I think, you know, he found a good way to involve Havoc uh, from Scotland over to New York so that he could team up with Spider-Man. Uh, and I think it's it's pretty solid. And I'm going to say an A- minus on the story. Uh, and overall, I'll give the book a B plus. Good. Yeah. Uh, Let's go next, Bill. Yeah, I'll go. Uh, hmm. Well, I didn't buy this off the newsstand. Uh, don't think I ever bought this. Tell the scene. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Um, I would give the cover. I would give it a B plus, B plus A minus. The interior art. I I, I kind of like what we're going to see next, but we're not there yet. So I would still give this art uh, B plus A minus again. And the story, the story's an A. I mean, I like the build-up. I like, um, you know, he's got this in, intricate plot, you know, how to, uh, he's booby-trapped everything. Or wait, or is that, am I getting that mixed with the next issue? Uh, but anyway, I'll give it a B plus A minus overall. Tim, you want to go or you want me to go? I'll go. I'll go. All right. Uh, cover wise, I uh, think I'm going to I'm a sucker for Cockrum, so I'm going to give it a, a minus in the cover. Uh, it, you know, to Paul said, it's not it's not that original, but I think it's pretty dynamic and it would it would make you want to pick it up. Artwork inside, I'm going to go because to Paul's point it is a little inconsistent. Um, I'm going to go with B for the artwork inside. And for the story, I'm going to give it an A. Because I think it does. It is. It is well paced. It uh, because Havoc is so sidelined for so much that it is more of a Spidey story. So it is more street level, more grounded. And then that switches when Spidey is obviously out of its element when the next story comes along because we've got Thor coming in. So that would give me what? Say uh, I'll give it an A minus overall. Hmm. I uh, you know when I look at the cover. It, it made me grab it off the shelf, you know, when I was a kid. So, uh, yeah, and, and the, the only, I always had a little trouble with the way he drew Spidey on there. Beyond that, it was a great cover, so I give it a B, solid B. Uh, the interior art for, for Byrne is a solid B as well. The inking does, you know, would detract a little bit from it, but uh, it's still solid B on that. The story I gave an A just because it didn't seem as – contrived as some of the other methods of getting all the characters together, especially like the Iron Fist ones where Peter Parker has to do a photo shoot of Danny Rand's home as a way of getting those guys together. So Which I think we yeah. did that on our last crossover episode. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I, I like that off lot. So I, I, I gave it an A for story. So that's uh, so, yeah, it's a good uh, B plus overall. Right, so okay. uh, that's it for our coverage of Marvel Team-Up number 69, dude. Uh, please join us on Third Degree Burn, where we will cover issue 70.
Anybody Dude. have any final comments before we close out the episode? I really didn't like Star Trek Five. What? <laughs> get off! That's pretty get off bad. My, get off my podcast. <laughs> I get to I get to bring my character that nobody's going to hear for like a year. I'll listen to the Prophet. My um, Harrison Ford doing a podcast. Get off my podcast. <laughs> Got a point with a finger too, but you can't that's, see that's that. A pretty good, that's a pretty good Harrison Ford. Don't, that's where the similarities in. So, so the next, the next uh, table read we do, if we all get together again, we're gonna have to, you're gonna have to bring that character up as somebody. <laughs> what did we do? <laughs> yeah, what did we do last time? Was it Rocky Three? Uh, yeah. No, no, it was Rocky Three, but we did. We, we did the Star cast Trek. of Rocky Three doing a muck time. Time, yes, right. So, so now we we'll have to do, do a muck time doing the cast of a muck time doing Rocky Three. Flip it on its ear. So Powell would be uh, Mickey. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. He's a, he's a wrecking machine, Rock. <laughs> that is, that, that's horrible. Goodbye, everybody. Yes. Adios. Revenge. Sayonara. Get off my podcast. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. But, um, <laughs> uh, bah, 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 bah. what was I saying? <laughs>